Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We got to talk some USC Trojan football as always with Keely Your Follow on Twitter at Keely is my name. Full slate of topics from the college football playoff rankings the USC's come from behind win over UCLA, the controversial decision to play Oregon, uh, Pitt, Oregon against USC in the Pac 12 championship game. We're going to get to all that and all of your questions. If you have questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can call or text us at 424-254-9141. But if you have an Apple podcasting app on your phone or your iPad or your computer, please go there. Subscribe to the Peristyle Podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and some sort of review with comments, feedback, suggestions, or a question. We'll bump you right up to the top of the list. If you do, we really appreciate that. And I know Keely, yours always all over it, checking it in. But Keely, checking in with you. How are you doing today? Hello, Ryan. Doing well. It's a short week. I think everyone involved with USC, whether you're a coach or a player or covering the team, is a little sleep deprived this week. But hanging in there. It's championship week, early signing period. Lots of things going on this week. There are a lot of things going on. I just finished doing a like two and a half an hour, po- two and a half hour podcast for the podcast of champions. We did a little early because the other thing we didn't mention. Tomorrow starts the early signing period, so that's going on, too. We're recording this on Tuesday. So, I mean, you couldn't pack more stuff into a short period of time than we're doing right now. Pretty much. I don't want to jinx it. Maybe something else will break, but I I don't want to test the USC football news gods because they will rain down if we try and test them. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's insane, right? Like, there's just so much uh, going on here, and we just – so we started recording this one uh, a little – uh, a little later than what we normally would do because we wanted to see where the college football playoff rankings would come out. And USC is undefeated at five and zero, same record as Ohio state. Who's the number four team in the country in the rankings. And USC came in at number 15, didn't get an opportunity to play any of the top five, 25 teams. Colorado stayed in the top 25. They were number 25, even though they lost pretty badly uh, to Utah but they're, you know, they're four and one. Would USC move up? Because then they have the opportunity to win the Pac-12. I kind of felt there'd be a jump to maybe like number 10 or 11. And then not really in striking distance of the college football playoff. That that graphic on ESPN, they said that they had like a 47% of making the 47% chance of making the, the playoff just seemed completely unreasonable to me. Uh, putting a lot of emphasis on winning the Pac-12. But the committee is obviously not putting much emphasis on that. Only moving up two spots uh, to number 13. So that's, I mean, yeah, that's not the biggest outrage in the rankings. We can talk about that a little bit. But I thought they'd move up a little bit higher, but really not in striking distance. Uh, You know, beating an Oregon team on Friday would not put you in striking distance of making the playoff. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll get into it, but I, I did think USC would move up a bit, but just hearing, you know, listening to the guys talk on, on the show, the release show, it just seems like everyone kind of knows what we've been saying <laughs> so far this season is, yes, USC is 5-0, and but they're not impressive wins. The Pac-12 South is probably one of the, the worst divisions in college football right now, and they're just, it's not very impressive that you went Five and zero, and you had to have two or three now last minute victories against those teams. So I think everyone kind of sees that at least. And the fact that USC doesn't have any wins over ranked opponents, those things all matter. Now, granted, I don't really know what matters anymore after looking at the rest of the rankings, uh, looking at you, Florida. But um, I just. I, I don't think I think for the ESPN graphic that was their football power index and it's a computer model. So I think they really took into account if USC goes ahead and, and wins the Pac-12 championship, having that that conference champion will really boost their their prospects. And I do think if USC wins, they'll move up just because that's attractive television uh, to 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 advertise like a, a top ranked USC team and maybe a Fiesta Bowl. But uh, I just. You know, I, I don't think USC has passed the eye test this season, even though that 5-0 and is kind of flashy and, and nice to trot around. It's just you you lo- you win on the last minutes to an Arizona team that got trounced by Arizona State this past weekend. So, you know, it's not the, the greatest of opponents that USC has played this season. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I thought that USC should be a little bit higher, but whatever. I mean, there's Cincinnati's getting screwed, you know, Coastal Carolina, teams that basically, it's basically the committee's like, here's who we think is good. The results don't really matter. Let's, you know, we're they're good. You know, of Florida, we think you're really good. Oh wait, you lose to a team that's three and five. Yeah, you you drop one spot. You know, it's just one of those things where there's a, it's you know, it's kind of like an SEC echo chamber in times. You know, Iowa State, you know, losing to you know Louisiana Lafayette or whatever. It's like, um, you know, that team has a better record than Iowa State, and they're they're up there in the in the top six. Some of that stuff just doesn't make a lot of sense. But you knew for USC it wasn't going to be a playoff year. I mean, the Pac-12, it just wasn't going to be there when you saw the rankings coming out. And, you know, the Pac-12 just sort of ate its own. And USC didn't look impressive in their wins. If USC was crushing teams, they would definitely be ranked higher. Um, that's that I, I guarantee you, if USC was crushing teams, they'd be ranked higher. I don't think yep. they could crack the playoff, but they would be higher ranked. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. And they kind of alluded to the fact that that's why uh, a 5-0 Ohio State is higher. Obviously, the brand is much stronger than USC in the last couple of years. But you just you don't get a sense that USC is really taking control, really had that beat down, had that eye, passed the eye test. I know Chris Trevino, after the Arizona game on instant analysis, basically said you can rip up the resume because if you look like this against a ASU or Arizona team that hasn't played well and hasn't won a game uh, now at this point, 12 games, it it just doesn't matter. So I, I completely agree, Ryan. Yeah, ASU beat Arizona 70 to seven and USC yeah, needed just... a, <laughs> USC needed a last minute comeback to beat them. So yes, that's, you know, we love you. Curtis Marino Valley, a win is a win. No, what, listen to what the, the you know, the ESPN talking head said about USC's resume they weren't impressive looking. So are you happy with five and zero, and then a chance to go win the PAC 12? That's cool. Um, it's nice that they were talking about USC and that at least you were talked about, but you were nowhere near um, a normal USC team. That's undefeated is going to be in every playoff discussion there is. And that's not the case right now. So a win isn't always a win. Uh, Curtis, we love you, but this is uh, this is why you got to look better than you do against the, especially teams that aren't very good. Apparently uh, Arizona. 
I mean, Arizona's on a 12 game losing streak. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, the, the best chance they had during that streak was to beat USC. So that's. Probably, that's oh, gosh. Think about yeah, that. Yeah, and the, like, apparently, Gary Bart of the chair of the CFB committee just said about USC it's important to win, but who you play and how you win those and how you win those games is important. So basically backing up what we just said. Yeah. You can't Wait. USC can't control who they're playing. It sucks that they missed the only opportunity to beat a top 25 team in Colorado because of COVID. But the teams that you you were beating that you could have beat, you know, you you need to beat their, you know, beat their ass. Like you just have to, you know, you should be you, US look at USC versus Arizona. USC should have beat their ass. Like there's no reason that for that to happen. That's that's a poorly coached team that couldn't beat Arizona. I don't care what you say. Like Herm Edwards took them to the woodshed. They beat them by nine touchdowns. Like you needed to come back in the last minute against that team. Mm, I, you know, that's a problem. Yeah, exactly. That's a Ryan quote for the ages. Well done. But yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, this just goes to show we already, we already know just how this week has gone, but how inept the PAC 12 is that even on a, on a, on a year where you can move things around, you can be flexible. You're not going to have Colorado play USC in the Pac-12 championship game. You're at least having ranked teams play each other. And we saw, we just said, you know, playing a ranked team matters to this committee. You could at least try to do that, put your conference in a better position to win, but no, you're going (laughs) to, you're going to wait and have USC prepare for two separate opponents at the same time. You know, just Pac-12 things. No, and that's a good segue into what's going on in the Pac-12. And I think, I don't remember who I was talking about, but when this came out that the Pac-12 was going to have uh, USC and Washington play, um, uh, they might have been on Tunnel Vision. I don't remember what we did, but but they were going to have USC and Washington play in L.A., but then also Oregon and Colorado in L.A., just so they would be backups. And I just thought, originally, I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting, you know? That's a neat way to do things. But then after like thinking about it for about 10 seconds, I was like, this is really dumb. Like, this is why would you do this? Like, you don't No other conference is doing a backup getting in to the the championship game. The Big 12 is doing something similar. They have like the third place team. If one of the first two guys couldn't do it, you know, there's no division. So there's just a third team that's awful. No one is having a backup for each division. And then your non-division winner gets to represent uh, the, that division in the championship game. I think what some of the, you know, the, the college football writers on the West coast have talked about like John Wilner is either make USC the champion and still have them play Oregon or Colorado or something just to get a game in. Uh, but don't have a rep, you know, a replacement for that division. If they can't play for the the title, they can't win. And, and that's it, you know? And so giving Oregon the chance to win a, you know, a championship without even winning the division. It just, I mean, it's, it doesn't sit really well with me. And to your point, if you're trying to boost your resume, you know, mix it all up and say, look, because Washington's out, USC is going to play Colorado and they're the two highest ranked teams. We're going to have them pit them against each other. You don't worry about the division anymore. The representative of the North is out. So uh, sorry, Oregon, you lost your last two games to Oregon State and Cal. Like, you're not in this. We're going to put USC and, and Colorado together. And I think the way the Pac-12 did it really sucks. And I'm not doing the woe is me thing for USC. Three games in 13 days, yeah, not ideal. It's 2020, okay. Preparing an ex, you know, 24 hours extra for a team you're not going to play. Yeah, you know, that can be – that's not ideal either. But – Knowing what happened to Washington, 
knowing that they'd canceled the game against Oregon, you know, middle of the week or so. And what Jimmy Lake came out and said, Keeley, was there's no offensive lineman available and the entire team is in quarantine. To me, the failing is Larry Scott has to go in and not wait for what Washington thinks they can do, which was Monday, you know, uh, late morning, around noon or so, or 11 a.m. Larry Scott has to assess the situation before they put out the week seven schedule, you know, that they put out, they have to talk to Washington and be like, what's going on? Oh, you have no offensive lineman. Oh, the whole team is in quarantine. Okay. You're out. We're done moving on. Sorry. You won the North, but you do not get the play. We're going to now play. Okay. We're mixing it up. So the PAC 12, instead of announcing that Oregon and Colorado are going to come to LA and be backup plans, you say, Washington's done. You can't have any guys coming. You have the whole team coming back from quarantine. You cannot play. There's out. So we're going to say the the two best teams are going to play each other because the division, you know, the divisions are out because of not because of the missed number of games, but because Washington wasn't going to be able to play. So now we're throwing out the divisions. USC, Colorado, you play. Oregon, you're going to get a good game. You can set everyone up with good games. Now it's screwed. You know, USC isn't screwed. They get to play for the conference championship against a team that's you know, on a two game losing streak and you get some revenge. Like, I think it's a good opportunity for USC, but you'd rather played Colorado. The team that gets really screwed is Colorado because now they're basically hoping that USC gets COVID and then can't play the championship game. And then they would be able to play. That's basically what their options are right now. So it's, uh, it's not ideal. I don't think the PAC 12 handled this well. And it's a, it's a shame because they, they had to like cobble together this schedule they got through it, you know, one week that nothing was canceled. This last week was tough with the two canceled games. Uh, and now you already have two canceled for week seven. Uh, I don't even know why they scheduled the Arizona Cal game. That just was like, that was going to be a disaster waiting to happen anyway. So that's gone. That, that's out of the table, you know, but it's unfortunate. Colorado's now sitting there without a dance partner. It's just, it's so odd to me because it just seems like the successful teams in the conference have to try and win in spite of the conference that they're in. It just doesn't feel like the Pac-12 knows that they operate in like a national football scene. It feels very much like we're the Pac-12 and we play the Pac-12 and parity matters and not really thinking about the bigger picture. I mean, even going back to the fact that Larry Scott and the Pac-12 waited so long between getting Quidel testing to getting back to a season, you know, if you have more games under your belt, maybe USC is in a better spot ranking wise, just because they have more games played. You don't know, you know, so it's just, it's hard to see in Colorado. I felt like they were just screwed from the beginning because if you, you know that Washington's not going to be ready to go. King County has quarantine measures in place that, wasn't really going to be lenient, I don't think. And then if you know your whole offensive line, that's like the one position group that is just a non-starter. If they're out, what are you going to do? Why Why is the Pac-12 announcing the matchup while USC is playing UCLA? You know, it's just with no backup plan. It just makes no sense to me. And it just, it just seems very disorganized. And it just... It, it's it's once again the Pac-12 is going to Pac-12, and it's just odd in that sense. Yeah, they're getting crushed by you know it, it's pretty much across the board of the Pac-12 writers, uh, John Wilner, John Canzano, uh, Kyle Bonagora. I mean, there's different writers that covered the the beats around. I mean, it's just not it's not well run. There's and you know I asked I actually was DMing with a couple of those guys, and and I'm like, am I wrong here? Like, shouldn't 
the Pac-12 have known Washington can't play. It wasn't like they were on the borderline. Like they, it was pretty obvious that Washington wasn't going to be able to play. So to schedule a game and then have to cancel, like you know, 24 hours late, just it makes no sense. Like you just you have to have a good leader that's going to like assess the situation and go, yeah, you're out. Like if you're, it's like you're waiting for this player who like badly sprained his ankle but wants to get back in the game. And the coach is like, well, whatever he thinks, let's let him, you know, check it out. And, you know, your trainers are like, dude, he's got to go to the hospital and have surgery. Like, well, if he thinks he can play, uh, no, he's out. Like you make the call. You're the coach, dude, you're out. Go to the locker room. I'm like, your backup's going to be ready to play. Not like, well, coach, I think I can, I can, no, just the, the, the Larry Scott has to be a leader in that situation and Mm -hmm. walk in and go, what's up? Oh yeah, you're done. Uh, or Oregon or Colorado, we're going to pick you now. Not you guys are backups and maybe there's a miracle that everyone, you know, there's a vaccine comes out tomorrow and they all get cured or something like, no, like the whole team was in quarantine, the entire team. So no, you could not play. Um, that's where I have a beef. Well, also, can you imagine Ohio state or an Alabama? I'm hard to invoke those, but can you imagine the top programs in a conference being okay with being like, Hey, you're undefeated in the conference, play a team that's just lost a couple games and is not actually the North champion or the, who hasn't clinched the North. That's okay. Like, you know, people, the conferences have moved things around to help their premier teams and it just seems like what i said the pac-12 was just like you know what who cares still play oregon like it doesn't matter why not just let usc not play uh on short rest and give them a better chance in the grander uh college football landscape and i'm not just saying this because this is ucla i mean usc it's just any pac-12 team they're not helping the team succeed in the in the larger picture no if oregon was undefeated and you did this to oregon it'd be the same thing you're like what are you doing like oh exactly yeah, that's like you're you're hurting your team with the best chance to do something, and that you know USC happens to be the premier brand, and we've seen the Pac-12 do it. It's more about parity than about promoting, you know, your team. The SEC is about making two teams in the playoffs. Like that's the whole point. Like not, oh Vanderbilt, you want no, I don't care about Vanderbilt. Like you're done. Like sorry Vanderbilt, oh you got a, a female kicker, that's great, but you're gonna lose every game. We don't care. We want to get Alabama and then potentially Texas A&M into the playoff. That's what they care about. And the Pac-12 has never been like that. Now they're trying, I think they're trying to like, at least not hurt the teams, but this is not an example. This is an example of hurting the team. And we know they didn't, USC didn't have a chance to make the playoff, even whatever that FPI said from ESPN, but don't make it harder. Don't make the road harder than it has to be for your premier teams. And that's basically what they're doing here. And the problem, too, is when you do that, you hurt the brand of the Pac-12 nationally, and that doesn't give you the benefit of the doubt like an SEC brand would when it comes to the college football playoff committee and stuff like that. It's just like, oh, well, they don't take football seriously, so do we really need to push them up? You know what I mean? You don't get that extra leeway that other brands who uh, who are appear to take football, quote-unquote, more seriously get, you know? Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, we're going to move on to the UCLA game, but I need to tell you guys about Trader Joe's. They've been a great sponsor for us. Thanks for another year, Trader Joe's. And, you know, I'm not going to talk about something I, you know, got at the store there. I want to tell you about a post I saw in Nextdoor, which I read every once in a while. And uh, people talk about Trader Joe's a lot. Uh, this is from uh, Lanny. He says, thanks to Trader Joe's from Mosa Beach. I called and spoke to Alex and told him I was an at-risk senior and needed one ingredient for a cooking demonstration this afternoon. He went and got it for me, put it on hold at the front desk. 
with some food for my dog. He told me that the store was pretty empty, so I charged over there. I was in and out in 15 minutes with a basket full of things I didn't know I needed. I am forever grateful for the compassion shown to me and for my first shopping expedition since March 12th. And uh, a lot of emojis there, but very thankful for Trey Joe. So that's the kind of stuff we love that, Aww. you know, someone calls over, it's an at-risk senior, and hey, we're going to take care of you. Look, come on over right now. There's nobody here. So I, I love that stuff. I just have that the kind of good experiences when I go shop at Trader Joe's. Yeah, what a wholesome story. That's nice. And uh, imagine not going to the grocery store since March. What a tough time for senior citizens right now. But thankful for Trader Joe's and their hospitality. Yeah, it is a tough time. I get, yeah, I've, I've hear stories like that where, you know, I still try to be active safely. Like I'll go golf, I'll go hiking. But you hear from people like, yeah, I haven't left my house since March. I'm like, Holy cow. Like, um, I mean, I know you've been pretty cautious, but you've come into the office recently, at least. And we've done, you know, the show, like the tunnel vision, social distancing and stuff. Um, but yeah, there's people that are like, I'm taking no chances. I'm not going anywhere. Like, wow. Like that's, I, I don't know if I could do it. Keely. I mean, if we had to, we had to, but like at this point, you know, there seems like stuff you can do, like go to the store and, and keep yourself safe. But I, I can't imagine not going to the store since March. Yeah, that's rough. It's basically for me, stores and the studio. That's pretty much it. Stores studio, for essentials. So you, made the, you made the exception for the studio. That's it, huh? Yeah, studio is in the accepted list now. But you're my risk factor, Ryan, since you're going all over the place. But I'm it's risk, worth it. No risk factor. I'm like I'm golfing and stuff. It's funny behind the scenes. So like Keely will sit at the desk I normally sit at. So I have to get the show ready, and then I have my wipes and my Lysol, and I like wipe everything. <laughs> before she gets here and uh, i got my mask and everything so it's, it's funny so i have to keely proof my my workstation for her it is very appreciated ryan thank you <laughs> or ryan proof it not keely proof it, it just you know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. uh all right well there was also a game keely um really I don't know if we were there <laughs> sitting right next to each other in the rose bowl press box uh i watched um scott ben pelt after the Monday night football game. And he does a bad beat segment on uh, ESPN and USC made it. If you knew like USC was a three point favorite in this one. And at no point in the first 59 and a half minutes of this game was UCLA not covering the spread. They were covering the spread the entire from kickoff until whatever, 30 seconds left in the game. When USC Keenan Slowis throws that pass to Amon Rossi Brown, there was a run call that he opted that audibled out of, uh, and then USC takes the, the lead there, and uh, was covering the spread. But they talk. There's a you talk about a bad beat. UCLA covering the entire time, and it looks for all intents purposes that the best thing to do is kick, you know, run a play and work some clock and kick a field goal. Um, USC doesn't do that. They throw a touchdown pass and uh, cover the spread. So kind of gave UCLA a little bit of hope with that hail mary at the end, but. If they kicked the field goal, they wouldn't have been covering the spread in this way they did. So just a crazy, that was just one of the crazy games. Been a lot of crazy games this year. That was definitely high up there. Yeah, no, it was so intense. And Ryan, that was your first time watching a game in person, right? COVID, a COVID game? First COVID game. You see, you go places too. You've been to more stadiums than oh, I have. Oh, true. That is I've, true. I, and I've been to Arizona. Okay, I forgot about that. <laughs> you got an away game in there, man. Like, you're, you're true, riskier than true. me. Okay, but it's my job. But yes, yeah, true. <laughs> But it was, it was, we talked about this on tunnel vision a little bit. It was definitely surreal because you're, the sights didn't match the sounds. And I think 
when there's an exciting play, I almost didn't know. You're like, oh, Talanoa Funga, that was like a pick six. And you're kind of looking around. That, you know, No one cheers in the press box. The UCLA stadium announcer doesn't get excited when, UC, when USC makes a big play. There's not like a bunch of crowd noise, like booing or whatever. It's just sort of silent, and you can see the far sideline where USC people are going crazy. And that's about it. But you don't hear anything. And it was just weird because I start typing out my tweet like, and it was, it was I don't know, it was just sort of like understated, like Talanoa Funga with the interception. It looks like a pick six, but there's a flag on the field. Um, where if there were fans and everyone going crazy one way or the other, or or just groaning, or it just wasn't anything. So it's to me, it's like the sights didn't match the sounds and it was hard to get used to. Yeah, it feels very clinical in that sense. Like we're just watching like a procedure happen versus like, oh, an emotional football game. But for me, like I'm never in the press box. So this is really my only like press box experience of no fans. So I, it's weird to me all around. I think it would be definitely much more weirder if I was on the field and could tell the difference from what I'm used to. But yeah, I know the weirdest part was when, you know, things got chippy at the end, last minute victory, so much emotion. And then because there's no fans, there's no band. And they're not like circling around the stadium for 20 minutes. They were just gone. So it was like high, high drama, high emotion, and then silence in the Rose Bowl. That was the weirdest part to me. <laughs> yeah. There, yes. Um, the If it was a UCLA good play, like I felt like the crowd, the crowd noise was working and I'm like, it felt more normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't, if it was a good USC play, it just definitely didn't feel normal. You're like, uh, that, like Isaiah Polamau, like tipping the, interception to itself it just was like like you said it was clinical it was silent um and you're like huh what's going on there but you know this is a ucla team that's outscored everybody in the fourth quarter usc outscored them 20 to 3 um i felt like the ucla tempo in the first half of the game worked great and it confused usc there was a tunnel screen that ucla ran that usc only had two defenders on that side of the field even though there was three receivers Mm -hmm. It was just after a successful US, UCLA play, and USC was confused. Seemed like they fixed that. Some of it was, I think USC was in better position. Some of it was UCLA was kind of shooting themselves in the foot with the tempo, or they tried to do the dreaded fourth and one tempo, and those didn't work. Um, you know, I think both coaches made a bunch of mistakes in this game. There was some clock management stuff that was bad. Chip Kelly, you know, critical fourth and one, had his you know rookie you know, freshman running back in instead of Felton or Brown. Um, there was, I think there was enough mistakes to go around. And at the end of the day, USC had better players than UCLA. And I think that's why USC won. I mean, it's been the theme of this season, Ryan. You know, it's it's really talented players making crazy plays in critical moments. That's basically, you look at the Drake London catch uh, at ASU, you know, it's just, that's just the theme. And so that's been what USC's strength is. It's not necessarily coaching. And that's kind of the Clay Hilton era, really. So it's just a continuation of that. But as far as the defense, I was a little interested not interested my eye my ears perked when I kept seeing so many missed tackles I think PFF said that it was 14 missed tackles because that seems like a performance we'd see from USC if they took the breaks off a little bit in practice obviously we can't see practice but I was like wait a minute now uh, Orlando did say on Tuesday that Chip Kelly unleashed 
at all on the team. They said that they, they showed things that they hadn't shown on film before or they had more variations of, of some of their tendencies. So I think Orlando made adjustments in the second half to to uh, what Chip was doing and he called it a chess match on, on Tuesday as well. But, you know, I was just really curious because that we saw an energy and sure tackling, I think, more so against Utah and Washington State. And so the fact that USC came out and looked the way they did on defense as far as just guys bouncing off of them, it was like, okay, why is this happening at this point in the season? And so uh, my my skepticism raised a little bit of that. Yeah, there was uh, definitely some skepticism, <laughs> some skepticism <laughs> as far as that goes. It, I like the, the progress the defense had made, um, yeah. but the first half, it wasn't great. Definitely better. Uh, I think, you know, they, they played better in the second half, but this was... You know, this, this is a UCLA team that was certain they were playing much better uh, in the you know the second part of this season. They had six games in too, so I mean this was their sixth game. Only UCLA and Oregon State got all their uh, games in, but Chip Kelly made some mistakes. I think Clayton made a bunch of mistakes. Um, I mean it was weird offensively that USC just didn't look like they knew anything that was going. They didn't know what they were doing, and it took Drake London to like catch a pass and then run over seven UCLA guys to like get them on the board. And it was like, okay. And it seemed like that sparked the offense and maybe defensively, um, you know, it could have been either one of those interceptions. I mean, there's some, you know, some big plays that they they made getting the stops on fourth and one. If you look at, I I did a, you know, my podcast of champions earlier, like I mentioned, and, and David Woods was talking about like looking at some of the, I forget what the advanced metric is, but like, if you, you, you run the stats through and you say, okay, this team, you know, cause usually out gained USC, uh, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson was way more efficient than Keaton Slovis was. You put all those numbers in and it says, you know, in a typical game, UCLA should win 95% of the time. And <laughs> wow. I was like, wow. Okay. So the cardiac kids, whatever you want to call them, you know, there's been some luck that's gone USC's way. I don't think USC outplayed UCLA by a long shot, but like I said, better players and you know, you got Tyler Vaughn's making like crazy catches like that. Like it's, uh, yeah, that's where, that's where we are. Yeah. I mean, it was great to see Tyler Vaughn's get some, some recognition. I know he's been kind of under, under the radar this season, but that's the thing. I don't think this offense has figured out yet why it just seems out of sync at times. And I know, I think Shotgun asked Graham Harrell, why is it that when your backs are against the wall, the offense just seems to flow better? And Harrell laughed and he was like, I wish it wasn't that way, but I don't think they really know the answers yet. And it's hard when you don't have a real functioning run game. You know, I, I feel like uh, Vivai Malpei was USC's first 100-yard rusher this season, and that part of me feels like it was effort, you know, like he would just really, really grind for those extra yards, and it wasn't so much scheme as, like, scheming him open or the offensive line making wide holes for him, you know, so, and that's notable going into the championship game because Vivai Malapai has a knee sprain, according to Clay Hilton, we'll find out more on Wednesday, but if he's not ready to go, he's kind of the, the every back for USC, so every down back, so I'm curious how that will go, especially because Vavai's had uh, knee sprain issues before. But, you know, it, if you don't have a functioning run game, I can see why it's kind of clunky out there. And and yes, I know, Ryan, you're you're definitely, hey, just do what works and throw the ball. But part of the reason why USC was successful towards the end is they were expecting USC to, to run the ball and, and Keaton checked it at the line. But 
I don't know. It's just, I like I said before in past weeks, it just seems a little clunky. I know Keaton still has a wobble to his throw. So it's just, they're not in sync. And, and I think we're just, I think for USC's sake, they're just holding on to the end and, and going with what, what works, I guess. Yeah, and this is an Oregon team that I know they've lost a couple of games, but they're still a team that has talent like USC. Like USC out-talents people. It's hard to out-talent someone that has close to the same amount of talent as you. So you got to play better and you got to coach better. And, you know, they've USC's played a bunch of overmatched opponents and needed miracles to beat them. I, you know, three of them. Uh, this is, this is going to be a different story. So you can't come out. You got to play well. They played better, I think, against Washington State. You know, they played better against Utah. You got to play better against this Oregon team. And without, you know, if the, if Avai Malapai isn't in, he's been the, you know, consistent running back. We didn't see Marquis step until, that, you know, was it the third and one play? Um, Stephen Carr, you love him, but and he didn't have a lot of opportunities. Like, he was hitting the backfield yeah. almost every run. Like, not even just, like, some guys getting close to him. It's like two dudes are, like, in, like he had no chance in a bunch of those runs. So, that's a problem, too. And Bavai's found a way to, like, make something out of it. And if he's not able to go in this game, it might be really one-dimensional for USC again. Yeah, no, that's what I was alluding to. So I, you know, you hope for USC sake, maybe Marquis Steph can take on that Vavai role. I know Clay Hilton said that he talked to Vi, uh, I mean, talked to Steph about doing that, but I still just don't understand the rotation that they're doing as far as the running backs. I know Keenan Kirsten got one uh, down and that was at the start of the fourth quarter. It's like, how, are, what are we doing here? Like, why, why are you putting in your running backs when you are and, and not really letting them get a rhythm? So something to watch for, for sure, Ryan. You know what, to get your running backs going, this is what I would do. It's like, say you're backed up in your own, you know, early in the game, you're backed up like in your own 10 or inside your 10. Um, why don't you throw a pitch to like your true freshman <laughs> wide receiver? Now, maybe you lose six yards, but that should get the run game going, right? That's a that's a good start, right? What'd you say? Of course. I mean, there's no risk at all in that play. And USC has shown that it really works and is successful. So why not? <laughs> I mean... That's just like, you're just one of those head scratchers. Like who came up with that? Like what that, I mean, you're trying to make some big play happen, but I mean, you have to realize the risk of a bad play happening there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I just feel like when, and I'm, I obviously I'm not an offensive guru, but like USC gets into these tight formations, Eric Chroma hook goes in motion and you're like, okay, well, he's they're going to run the ball. They're going to hand the ball off. And it's it just seems like very predictable. And I know that USC was able to uh, have a counter off of that. And that's how Almond Raw St. Brown scored against Washington State. So I know you can play off your tendencies, but it just seems like the run game is very much uh, just one-dimensional in that sense. It's, it's It doesn't seem like they have a lot in their arsenal. Yeah. All right. Well, you want to... Uh... We can get some questions. We'll take, we'll take a break and get some questions in, unless you have anything else you wanted to discuss before we do that, Keely. No, just championship game at the Coliseum. It'll be interesting. Friday night, 5 p.m. Uh, on Fox, USC and Oregon. Crossing your fingers that we end up getting there. All right, let's take a quick break, come back, and answer questions. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. We got some questions to get to. We got a couple of voicemails. Maybe we save them for a little and uh, do a couple of emails first, Keely, if that's okay. Sure. Let's go to an email from Randy from the Bay Area. He says, I think the casino analogy you all referenced on Tunnel Vision last week is the perfect way to describe the season and keeps things in perspective. It's like going to the casino with your wife, the state, but she says you can't spend any money, play football. As the night goes on with a little pestering, she she gives in and lets you spend twenty dollars. So now you're playing with twenty dollars and you didn't think twenty dollars that you didn't think you were gonna have and are writing a hot hand at the craps table. You hit on black five straight times sorry you hit on black five straight times and are feeling good about the sixth spin statistically you'll continue to hit black on a seventh or eighth try probably not but you're playing with money you never had in the first place so be happy and let the chips fall where they may randy yeah randy yeah we talked about that on television if you're playing you know it's a it's a house money kind of thing where um it's you see this happen in middle of games a lot of times when you have uh, a turnover say at midfield would you, if you, you know, if you were driving from your own 20 and you're kind of plodding along, picking up first down, first down, first down, and you want to like, well, we really want to score on this drive. We've been working so hard. But if you're just giving the ball at midfield, you're like, eh, throw a bomb. You know, like you might as well take a chance. And um, it's sort of like a similar thing. And for USC, like, yeah, it's a weird pandemic year. You got, you know, you got that miracle win right out of the gate and you're almost in house money with that. Like you should have lost to Arizona State. Like it was a 99.9% chance you lose. You didn't. You're like, wow, I'm kind of invincible, you know, and uh, and kind of played that way with reckless abandon since then. You'd like to see him play better for sure. But in that situation, you're like, OK, you know, it's, uh, let's see where the chips may. And, and that might help them against an Oregon squad because there's some pressure on USC knowing that, hey, you could, this is a team that shellacked you last year. This is a team that you recruit against all the time. There's even though they lost a couple games, they're still pretty good. I mean, it's. Not, you know, usually if you play a team that's three and two from the other division, you're like, oh, okay, we're getting like Cal or Stanford or something. Like, no, you're getting Oregon. You're getting the favorite, you know, the team that won the Rose Bowl last year. That's who you're playing. And they played you strong. So, but you might have the attitude like, but we are playing with house money. Like, who the heck knows what's going to happen? Let's get this, you know, let's make it a revenge game and, and beat their ass and uh, take recruits and all that. So, who knows? It might, Randy, it might help this team going into this one. Is beat your ass or beat their ass the phrase of the pod today, Ryan? If I said it a few times, probably. Yes, you have. Very interesting. Okay. But yeah, no, I, I, it's, the narratives heading into the Oregon game are really interesting. I know Dan mentioned it all the time, but Mario Cristobal just hanging around the, the, the Coliseum tunnel after last year's game. And, and the thing is, if you're going to come out and say that your slogan is take back the West, what better opportunity than Friday night? Am I right? That's a, you know, you're going to take back the West. You got Dante Williams, who Todd Orlando said he was leaning on him a lot as far as getting some intel on Oregon because Todd Orlando wasn't around last year for that beatdown. So, um, you know, there's no more Justin Herbert. There's no more of that whole offensive line, Penny Sewell and all those guys. So now what can you do? You, I mean, USC still has a talent advantage. They're going to be playing at home. There's no reason that USC shouldn't win this game. Uh, but we saw what happened last year, and it was not pretty. 
Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you know, the the notable thing about last year's game, besides the blowout, was that just how much the team gave up, especially in the second half, heading into halftime as well. And the like theme of this season, 2020, has been the comeback kids, the cardiac kids. They don't give up even when it looks impossible. So does this team do something different? You know, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to be losing and have to come back because this is going to be a harder team to come back on than say a pretty bad Arizona squad that has <laughs> sure, you know, walk-ons yeah. playing on defense. Like this is still. I mean, they got four, four and five star dudes around there, so th- they'll be a tougher team to make a comeback against. I would think. Yeah. No. Exactly. We have an email from L.A. Fred who said, uh, putting emotions and other things aside, he has multiple questions, by the way, what is best for the program moving forward? Making the college football playoff and getting blown off the field or making a New Year's Six game and winning or losing in a well-played game? I think it's a really interesting question. I think if you're Clay Helton, you have to, to, to win people over. Beating like Indiana in the Fiesta Bowl uh, an Indiana squad, that's who USC would be projected to play, um, you know, that lost their starting quarterback. You know, it's you're not going to get a lot of credit for that, especially after you lost to Iowa last year as badly as you did. Like, you better blow out Indiana to want any credit whatsoever. Um, but you'll get credit to make the playoff. Now, that's not going to happen this year. And if you get blown out in the playoff, I mean, you're not going to get a lot of credit either. So it's, it's almost like neither one of those scenarios are are great. Um, losing in a well-played game against an Indiana squad, I don't think you're going to get any credit whatsoever because it's still Indiana. They'd still be without their starting quarterback. If you win close, I mean, maybe some. It's like, hey, you won the Fiesta Bowl. That's cool. You know, I think blowing out is like the only opportunity there. It's it's tough, um, but I think it's kind of like a you're the dominant there should be the dominant program on the West coast. You need to be in the playoff. You haven't been in the playoff yet. Washington has Oregon has, you haven't Clay Elton, You've been around for, you know, five years or whatever it is right now. Why is your team not in the playoff? Um, so I, I think that's where you gotta be. It's gotta be a playoff and obviously not getting blown out. Yeah. I, my counterpoint would be just getting to a new year's six. I think, would be better just because you you know you always hear the national heads the talking heads say oh well clay helton took him to a cotton bowl but it's like did you watch the cotton bowl <laughs> did you see the difference in the trenches so i think just the the title of that what no matter what happens helps clay in the long run i don't know if it helps the program but getting blown out in the playoff i don't think helps at all i think it's just embarrassing and that's what people remember there's so many eyes on that versus maybe just hey they were in this this game you know yeah, the, I mean, Urban Meyer made him look silly in that Cotton Bowl, if you remember. It could have been way worse than the score was. I mean, yeah. we were there. I mean, watching pregame, and you're like... It was yeah. over. <laughs> yeah, like, nope, that ain't going to happen. Yep. Uh, Fred has another question. He says, with USC preparing for both Washington and Oregon on a short week for a potential Pac-12 championship game, what other conference or league in the country, all sports, would ask their Keystone member to do that? Can you even imagine the SEC telling Bama that they have six days to prep for both Florida and Georgia because we aren't sure who you're going to play? Meanwhile, they both get 14 days to prep for you. Not a chance. Love all your content. Fight on LA Fred. Thanks, LA Fred. Yeah, we kind of talked about that. It's That's Pac-12 failure. And it's I don't see it as a, you know, all the coaches sort of blew it off. It was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, Todd Orlando said what it was like eight hours one day and four hours another day. And then, you know, they, the good thing was they knew on Monday they could practice 
they could have a regular practice knowing it was for Oregon. Um, so you know, players were prepping for Washington. You switch it up. It wasn't that big of a deal, but there's no reason to put your, you know, as, uh, as Fred put it, your keynote member in that kind of position. Alabama wouldn't be in that position. They wouldn't do that to Oklahoma or even like Texas. Certainly not Ohio State. Certainly not Clemson. I mean, Clemson and Notre Dame, they're like, you know, we're going to shut you both down just so you could play each other. And we don't want anything to screw it up on the way there. That's the kind of stuff that you would want the Pac-12 to do. Um, and they don't, they don't even, they, they do the opposite of that. So yeah, that's a problem, Fred. Mm-hmm. We have a email, multiple questions again, Ryan, from Mike from Texas, class of 86, who said, really loved Sunday night's tunnel vision, especially the reminder to all SE fans that you should always enjoy the Trojans smacking down the Bruins. I've heard rumors that the Rose Bowl semifinal game will be moved to the great state of Texas. And that leaves me with a couple questions. One, why would they still call that a semifinal game? Uh, why would they still call the semifinal game the Rose Bowl? And if so, why? Oh, so sorry. from what I understand of what I read, um, this is the issue that you're going to have a semifinal in the Rose Bowl and you have teams from basically the South that would be coming to California. They're used to having actual fans in the stands. They're not used to players' families not being able to attend the game. So you're asking these guys to travel all the way across the country to California into a hotspot. And you're saying your family can't watch you play. They're in a different state of lockdown than we are here on the West coast. So this is kind of like a foreign concept. Like, wait, our families can't even come watch us play. So there's been some pressure on the committee to do that. Now, I think um, they were asked, the committee were asked and it hadn't been discussed yet. If I saw the tweets correctly, but if they did move it to like AT&T stadium, my understanding is they couldn't call it the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl just wouldn't happen this year. The Rose Bowl uh, the, is licensed to not just the Rose Bowl, but the city of Pasadena. So if it's not being played in Pasadena, it's not going to be the Rose Bowl. It was in 1942, um, you know, a few, like a, a, less than a month after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, when things got locked down on the West Coast of the United States, they moved it to the East Coast for that year. And it was still called the Rose Bowl. But be, prior to that, the last time it wasn't played, I think it was 1915. So this would be historic if it didn't happen and they moved it. Um, my gut is they're still going to play it uh, in Pasadena and just players won't be able to uh, have their families come. We know USC and UCLA tried and they were shut down as far as getting an exemption to have families come to games. You're like, hey, we got 200 people in a 90,000 seat stadium. We can make that work, right? And the health department said no. So um, we'll see. Pasadena has their own health department, so there could be something there. But uh, as of now, it looks like the committee hasn't really talked about it from what I've just read tweets while we're actually recording the show. And uh, that's why, you know, they were thinking about moving it if they do move it. You touched on it, Ryan, but he also asked uh, if the committee pulls that game out of California, any chance of the Rose Bowl hosting a New Year's game? So my understanding is no, if there's no, if they move it out of California, they wouldn't be hosting any game. It'd just be, you know, no Rose Bowl this year. Why not? It seems like a good opportunity to still have something. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's just one of those things where are you going to try to add more games to this mess? Um, <laughs> I mean, there's a reason the Cal, all the bowls in California have been canceled. True. Um, so I, I kind of think that's the situation. And Stuart Mandel did a pretty good piece on this. If you're a 
subscriber to the athletic, you can kind of check out what he was writing, but it's definitely, it's definitely interesting. Um, I don't know if you saw any of the, there was a, I think there was a tweet. I'll, I'll look for it real quick, but I thought there was some tweet about, uh, potentially moving it. And, uh, okay. So Brian Fisher tweeted, Bill Hancock says the college football playoff continues to plan to play at the Rose bowl. Doesn't really draw a line in the sand about parents attending being a determination factor, holding a game in pass or determining factor, holding a game in Pasadena. So it sounds like they're going to like, look, we're not changing things. Um, so sorry, parents, you won't be able to go. That's, that's my guess of what happens. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. We have uh, a fun email. A oh, oh sure. Go for it. Right? No, Did I, I jumped the gun. Was that, it? that was it. Okay. Let's, uh, let's play this one for you. Hey guys, uh, this is for Keely and Ryan. And I was just calling because, you know, the offense obviously hasn't been quite up to par compared to last year, at least. And I was wondering how much do you guys think that that has to do with Michael Pittman being gone? And then also, instead of having both Austin Jackson and Elijah T- Baratucker to shore up the left side of the line, now you basically just have Elijah Baratucker. Not that, you know, Andrew Voorhees has been playing bad, but it's just not quite the same as two potential NFL first-round picks on the same side for both the passing and the running game. But uh, also, I think, like I said, I think Michael Pittman might be underestimated the impact he had last year. I mean, as good as our receivers are, I don't think any are quite on his caliber, at least this year. Outside of maybe Drake London, but even then, that's not an outside threat. He was rising last year, so I don't even know if, if you could really count that too much. So, anyways, fight on, Jason Longwood Country. Jason, welcome back. We love you. Um, but what the hell are you talking about? Like, these are amazing receivers. Like, did you see what Tyler Vaughn did in that game? Like, yes, Michael Pittman's great. But the problem with this offense is not the receivers. Like, Drake London has been beast mode. Uh, Amon Rossi Brown caught four touchdowns in one quarter. You know, like, that's redonkulous. And what Tyler Vaughn was able to do, diving catch in the end zone that he you know, talked about being routine and then, oh, you know, at the end of the game, there's less than a minute left and there's basically a jump ball between two defenders and he goes up and, and grabs it and makes it look easy. Yeah, no, the receivers are fine. Like I am not going to say it, it would be awesome to have Michael Pittman in this group, but I, I, I don't think you can say that the receiver, you know, without, without Pittman, these receivers are lost. Like there's no way they're, they're amazing. Yeah, I mean, if there were a lot of drops or something, then I think you could make that argument. But like you just ran through, Ryan, there have been some spectacular wide receiver plays this season. And I think people forget that this is the second year of this offense, which means that there's a lot of tape. Uh, And last year, people didn't really know what to expect from this offense or from Keaton Slovis. And I think that matters coming into year two. People can really scheme and plan for this team. So that plus... Uh, oh, and he had the offensive line. I think that definitely matters. You know, I think having an inexperienced guy in Liam Jimmins on one of, on the on one of the sides of the line it matters. You've seen plays where uh, they attack him and they and he doesn't really pick up certain guys. And it just, I think it matters. And and I, I don't even know what it would look like if Elijah Vera Tucker wasn't here. I know that was a, a possibility, and USC convinced him to come back. But I just don't think it would be good for USC. Obviously, if ABT wasn't there. No, it would not be pretty. I think, you know, that's a good point. The offensive line is a much bigger uh, contributing factor, but I don't think it's been that much. I mean, I, I feel some of it's, like Keeley said, there's defenses have more tape on USC. Some of it's the play 
of Keaton Slovis himself. I mean, that's going to be a hard act to follow no matter what, what he did uh, last year, setting an FBS record for freshman quarterback, you know, completion percentage and all that. Um, But it's, it's also the pandemic. There's just all this weird stuff going on, but I wouldn't say, Oh yeah. If Michael Pittman was here, everything would be running smoothly. It's like, I mean, it'd be great to have, you know, if you want to have him on your, your squad, but, I mean, you remember like the Arizona State game, like Drake London making that fingertip catch and, you know, at the end of the game and to, to win it or the, the tip pass to Brew McCoy. Like we mentioned the ones in this UCLA game. There's, you know, too many of them to mention. Um, there's just been so many just like highlights from the receivers, mm-hmm. like game changing highlights that I just don't think you could say this is an issue uh, with the receivers. Yep. Completely agree. You want to we go have, back? Oh, yeah. Sure. I didn't want to, I didn't know if you wanted to hit me with another voicemail. We have a fun email from Steve in Poway. He says, don't get mad at me for it, Ryan, because sometimes you don't understand his humor. But he says, having seen Tyler Vaughn's celebration dance a week ago in the end zone against Washington State, and now his amazing catches to help USC defeat UCLA in the Rose Bowl, do you think Tyler is a better dancer or a better pass catcher? Seriously, what a game for the ages, and we will all tell our children and grandchildren about how Tyler, Amon Ra, Vavai Malpei, Talanoa Hufunga, and Keen Slovis made plays when it really counted and fought on to victory in 2020. Steve and Poway. Yeah, Jason, he didn't even mention Drake London in that. So that's like that's how good the receivers are. Like you're, you're the guy that makes the, <laughs> maybe the biggest play, you know, to start the thing. He didn't even mention him. So yeah, I, I am not a good judge of dancing ability. So I'm going to go what I know he can catch the ball. I'm going to you know, I'm going to go with his uh, pass catching ability. I just you know I don't know if Keeley thinks he's a better dancer, but I'm going with pass catcher. I love how you had to circle back. You like couldn't get the voicemail out of your mind, Ryan. That's hilarious. No, I mean. Tyler Vaughn's it's a shimmy it's a shimmy for his uh, fraternity he's a kappa so that's what he does uh that's his dance uh I don't know I see but here's the thing you could argue that his dancing ability makes him a good receiver because he's so fluid when he runs routes so how about that I managed to not choose either of them Ryan (laughs) nice he is very smooth and some people complain about Tyler Vaughn's because they say it looks like he's not trying and I don't think that's the case. I just think he's so natural that that's how he goes about his business. It's like he is just, I mean, there's athleticism there. There's this this smoothness with his hands and uh, the way, I mean, the way he runs routes, everything. He just makes it look effortless. I don't think he's not trying. I've played like volleyball with dudes that aren't, they're not going to try super hard. They're trying to look cool while they're doing stuff. You know what I mean? Like where they're like, I'm not going to dive for that ball. Like I'm flying around, you know, I'm going to dive and try to touch everything. I don't care what I look like. If I fall on my face, you know, I'm just moving. There's some people that are like trying to look cool while they're doing it. That's not Tyler Vaughn's. He's just very natural. He's not, he just is cool. He's just like, that's how he does it. He's not like, well, I'm not going to put a whole bunch of effort into catching this ball because I just want to look cool doing it. That's just how he is. I mean, he's just so natural at it. Yeah. He just has a very like, fluid jelly like <laughs> I don't know how to describe it but the way he runs around it makes it hard to pick up on his tendencies because he's not rigid you can't really guess which direction he's gonna go so I think that's always been his talent and just seeing uh the one-on-one battles in practice that really uh <laughs> jukes guys he's he's good at that so I think it's it's a advantage for him and not a sign of laziness where we've seen that on on Twitter and the P sometimes <laughs> yeah for sure and I think for us like if we look at him, 
you know, me and Keely or anyone else, you know, we were out there like, okay, for me to do that, I'd have to be trying my ass off. And I'd be like, you know, <laughs> and he can do it with, with like zero effort. And you're like, well, you can't be trying. Like, no, that's, that's him. That's what he does. So. That's how good he is. It looks like he's not trying. Yes. I, I, than... I don't think he's lazy. I don't think he's no. like. Exactly. Half-assing it or any of that stuff. I think that's just, he's smooth. We need like an ass counter in this podcast. Someone <laughs> someone tweet at us how many times Ryan has said ass in this podcast. It's so odd. Um, well, after we have... the podcast of Champions one, like, you know, Dave tends to swear a little bit. Now, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, and but I think by the end, like we were in like hour two and I was, I think both, we, we both had like an F-bomb in there, I think. Like, was, wow. You know, Crazy. Yeah. Well, that, like, it's funny. I asked Dave. Cause he, you know, he covers UCLA. He would usually like pregame, um, he'd be like, okay, tweeting out like clears throat. <clears throat> oh, okay. And then he would say like F S C, you know, something like that. So I actually said that on the podcast and then he would say it or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so we've, we've said a few swear words, so I don't know. Interesting. Ass isn't too bad, I guess. It's just, you know. We're, we're just making the, the podcast PG-13 today. That's fine. <laughs> I try, yeah, I try not to do it on this one. But that one, it can be a little more blue, a little <laughs> more colorful. That's fine. A little slap happy heading into this podcast. That's totally cool. Uh, we have an email from Rick from La Ramirada who says, Why does USC show no strength to keep high-tier quarterbacks through signing day anymore? This is another. Every year, a top QB has waited to attend USC all their lives and then decides to swap out what now happy holidays rick from la mirada doesn't sound very happy holidays of you rick um (laughs) well i just saw on twitter it's going to be miller moss's birthday tomorrow so uh, december 16th so he'll be 18 he's solid usc um they're still going after uh uh jackson dart right um quarterback from the pro style who can who can move a little bit from uh utah so, yeah, last year, it wasn't just a quarterback disaster. It was a class disaster, though there have been some guys that are contributing that we maybe didn't expect, the Thule, Tui Pelotus, and, you know, uh, Parker Lewis, stuff like that. There have been some contributors from that class, but they did miss out on some big-time quarterbacks last year. But that's more the exception, Rick, than the norm. Just It's, it's, it's fresh in your mind, um, but that's more of the exception. I mean – you know, JT Daniels was a five-star guy that came in early and all of that. Um, so, yeah, there's there have been a lot of five-star quarterbacks coming to USC. Um, and, and USC's been pretty successful at recruiting them. That last cycle was not an example of that. And, uh, you know, this cycle, they're getting one of the best quarterbacks around and potentially two from the West. So we'll see, uh, we'll see on Wednesday who they sign. I think the tweet means that he... Tomorrow, he's making the signing official, Ryan. I don't think it means that he's turning 18. Oh, I thought... Is that what it was? Okay. I missed... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 18 years. We said 18 years coming. Okay. So maybe Because he's in a USC jersey holding a football. Ah. Well, see, try not to read tweets while you're recording a podcast, though. I do that all the time. Multitasking. Do you ever see that? Like, I'm I'm talking to you, and then, like, I tweet something out. You're like, why is he tweeting? Like, we're, we're talking right now. We're recording a show. Yeah, because I have you on tweet alerts, and it literally happened because you retweeted that Miller Moss tweet, and I was like, "What? He's talking to me right now." <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have one more question, Ryan. So I don't know if you want to get to a voicemail. Uh, yeah, let's do the voicemail. Here we go. Hey, Ryan, this is Ken again from Ontario. I guess you uh, heard my last message that I left, and that was the start of the third quarter, or it was really the middle of the third quarter. 
and I was pretty upset. I've just finished watching the rest of the game. I'm glad SC won. I thought that was great. Probably wasn't the worst game I've ever seen, like I said in my first message. But where's the consistency? I mean, there is no consistency, you know. If we didn't have the playmakers that uh, we have on this team, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. But just wanted to give you a call, let you know you don't have to play my first message if you don't want to. Uh, (laughs) But um, that's it. Good luck to the Trojans, and let's see what happens next Friday. Okay. Great show, guys. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, his first voicemail wasn't very, uh, you know, he left in the third quarter, so it wasn't very happy, as you can imagine, Keely. I love the the voicemail regret, the post-game voicemail regret, and he has to follow up on that. That's funny. But, I mean, I, I agree with what he said. You know, it's like the theme of the 2020 season in the Clay Helton era has been talent making plays that, that makes USC win, but it's not consistent, and it's it's one of those things where, USC is down by 18 points, and can you really say, hey, they're really going to do this based off of a well-coached team that's going to put things together? It's no, it's all on Ross St. Brown making a great catch. It's Tyler Vaughn's going up and, and getting that ball. You know, it's it's talent, and that's USC. It is, and uh, I mean, the consistency has been a problem for sure. I mean, you look at the Washington State game, and you're just like, you watch the first, like, whatever, 18, 20 minutes of it. And you're like, okay, they're, they're going to score a hundred and they don't get the 50. You know, it was like, well, what happened? Like, you know, how, how did this, you know, and just, you, you gotta be more, a little bit more consistent. They should have got Amon Ross St. Brown, another touchdown. He should have set the record there. You know, um, they should have done more yep. than what they did in that game, but you know, it was a blowout win. It's hard to kind of complain, but that's like an example of an inconsistent, you know, effort in a game that you, one handily um, when it's inconsistently poor, like you saw against UCLA early on, and you're like, huh. And then you have to come back and outscore UCLA 20 to three to get a miracle win in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, you know, when you need an onside kick, like, okay, yeah, that's things worked your way or a tip pass that falls into your hands and, or doesn't get intercepted. Like Arizona had a pass in their hand to intercept. The defensive back had an interception in his hands went through, um, and USC caught it, right? But if it was picked off, the game's over, and USC loses to a horrible Arizona team. Um, so, yeah, there's been a lot of stuff like that happening. That's not the uh, pillar of consistency that you'd like to see, at least you know, a, a great play consistently. I mean, it's it's been up and down. It's consistently been up and down, but that's not what you're looking for. It's consistently inconsistent, right? Yes. Exactly. That's I what's mean- consistent, the inconsistency. Well- and the thing that was consistent against Washington State is you knew once they jumped out to that lead, they were going to go on cruise control. That's something that Gerard always points out. But it's just like that's just what this team does when they get out to a big lead and then they, they hope that it, it lasts. You know, there's just weird tendencies that just remain the same that are, aren't the best tendencies to have. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's I think <laughs> these are the kind of things that can hurt you against the team. That's talented, like Oregon. That's that's what I'll say to that. I mean, that's yeah. you got to play more consistent against Oregon. I think he's got a good point. 
And and that's what I said to Shotgun on instant analysis. It's just this type of play style just doesn't seem sustainable. And so far, USC has gotten away with it. And I think that's just a testament to how bad the teams USC uh, are playing are. But like you said, Ryan, I don't think you get away with that with an Oregon or a more well-coached team if USC plays a team outside the Pac-12 going forward, you know? Yeah. No, it's... If you had a fuller schedule... Um you know, it, and you played this inconsistently, like over time, you're going to lose games. And it's been a combination of not great opponents a lot of times and maybe opponents coming in, you know, th- the first three opponents, that was their first game was against USC. So yeah. there's some advantages there. There's a lot of weird stuff going on that even when you play poorly and play inconsistent football, you're able to get wins. But this was not going to be sustainable over a 12 game season. And especially if you had some of the teams that were on the slate to for USC to play like Alabama or Notre Dame, like that, yeah, yeah, that wasn't going to cut it. Well, I mean, over on earth too, and USC is playing the schedule that they actually had in 2020. We're talking about a whole different scenario right now. Probably we're probably talking about uh, coaching hirings and rather than where we are right now. So Weird to think of where we could have been if there wasn't a pandemic, right? Yes. it's. Uh, it, I, I mean, is it fair to say the pandemic helped USC as far as final record goes? Like, I think it helped. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, every iteration of the schedule got better and better for USC and Clay Hilton. Without yeah. a doubt. So, I mean, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah. We have one final email, and it's from Keith, and he says, With the news of Kevin Sumlin and Gus Malzahn getting fired, I was thinking about how Saban brought guys like Sark and Kiffin in as analysts, ultimately saving them for a rainy day, using their talents to help the team. Do you think that Helton slash Bone would be open to bringing in coaches in this capacity? At one point, both of them were highly sought after, just like Kiffin and Sark were. All had a period where they fell from grace. Maybe USC can be where they rebuild their reputation, and we can ingest some of their learnings. Before Saban hires them? Question mark. Thanks, Keith. Hey, Keith. So I think the issue here, and people bring this up a lot when, if they say, well, other places have hired their offensive coordinator to be the head coach. And look, it's like, hey, Ryan Day, he's doing great at Ohio State. And oh, you know, Lincoln Riley, like amazing what he's doing at Oklahoma. Those guys were amazing at their jobs before they got the head coaching job and those were really successful programs. USC hired a guy from a program. Their their program wasn't very successful at the time. So it wasn't like you try to keep it going. And I mean, I haven't seen any, there, there weren't a whole bunch of people lining up to hire Clay Helton as their offensive coordinator. So it was like you had a, you know, a say pretty good offensive coordinator on a maybe pretty good team. And you make him the head coach as opposed to a super successful program with a super successful head coach that retires or moves on. And then you're replacing him with your super successful offensive coordinator. Like that seems to work. Nick Saban has been running that program amazingly for years. He's, I don't, I mean, we don't want to like get into politics and stuff. He's the French laundry or he's the Valentino. He's the great, amazing restaurant that everyone wants to go to. And if you're a chef from some like place that's really good um, and you need to rebuild your reputation, you could go work for him. You could go work for that 
go work at French Laundry or Valentino or wherever it is and kind of rebuild your uh, status in the culinary world and then go and and start your, you know, take over some great restaurant that needs a new chef there. I don't think USC is in that position to bring in someone like that and rebuild the reputation when USC is trying to rebuild their own reputation, if that makes sense. So it's, it's different with Saban because he's created all these head coaches throughout the SEC and he's taken guys like Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian and, and turned them into success stories when they were failing other places. But that's a sick, that the culture there is a winning culture. Like he's successful. He wins a championship basically every other year. They're the number one team in the country. He's the most successful college coach like ever. I don't think you can, that's not an apples and apples comparison. USC has a brand and you can bring in some guys um, that maybe had a name at some point, but I, you're just not going to be able to do it at the level that Nick Saban is able to do it. He's just, he's made a living doing that. And USC has to kind of keep their own house in order that, as opposed to trying to rehabilitate people from that have had problems from outside, if that makes sense. No, that that totally makes sense. And if for some reason that type of move were to help happen, it would only happen because Bone and Brendan Sosna are making it happen and kind of forcing Clay to do it. Because what <laughs> have we seen from Clay Helton? He likes to keep it with people he knows, people he's comfortable with. And, you know, that that everyone makes fun of the Rolodex, but that's why you have guys that ha- he's close to. Because I don't think he likes having people who might have similar experience with him on the staff. You know, Ryan, we just haven't seen that from him before prior to Bone coming into the picture. Yeah, and they and I think like guys like Bone and, and Sosna will try to do stuff like that. You know, USC had Dave Campo uh, on staff where you know he was helping out. He was a former uh, NFL head coach with the Dallas Cowboys. His relationship, I think, was Clancy Pendergast, right? Like, yeah, it was. That, yeah, so and I, so I, I assume he's not around anymore. But you know, Clancy no. was an NFL guy. Uh, so sometimes you use those um, relationships, you know, and. You know, if you had Cliff Kingsbury on staff, like maybe there would have been some opportunities there. Um, so you could pick your spots, but Nick Saban could pretty much pick anybody and someone that has no affiliation to him. And like, oh, Lane Kiffin, you got tarmac. All right, come here and uh, work under me. And, and, you know, Sark, you uh, got drunk at a uh, booster event and <laughs> got fired. And after 16 games as a USC head coach, come here, I'll, 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 uh, I'll help you out. Um, yeah, he can do those kind of things because of the he has a lot of cachet in the college football world, and you would be dumb not to jump at that opportunity. He has a proven record of, of you know, revitalizing these people's careers, and you know now Lane Kiffin's the head coach in the SEC. How many former assistants are head coaches in the SEC? You know, um, from the Kirby Smarts and Jeremy Pruitts and all those guys. Uh, you know, you just get associated with uh, those programs, and and people want to hire you. So yeah, that's. That's the same in effect. USC has some cachet for sure, but it's going to be, it's, it's a more difficult road. You can't just go out and say, oh, just bring them to USC and we'll, we'll help you out. Like, eh, if I'm, if I'm going to get helped out, I'm probably going to get helped out by Nick Saban if I have a choice. Yeah. You want, you'd rather go to the machine that produces that type of, of product rather than the, the place that's trying to become that, you know? Right. USC can be that machine. I think USC can do that. You have to have the right leadership in place. And, you know, I think they're starting to fix some of the cracks that were formed around this program. There's a lot of them. Um, but, you know, there's I think there's still a long way to go. But 
USA can get there and they can, they can do it in style because they, they're Alabama without Auburn or LSU or Florida or Georgia. Like they're just Alabama without that kind of crazy competition. You got Oregon up there, you know, that's fine, but that it's not the same kind of thing where if USC gets its ducks in order, if, if USC writes the ship and gets the best leadership, they can start crushing people again. I, I honestly believe that the, the inherited advantages are there for USC, but they haven't hired the proven leaders that you need. They've, they've hired people in their athletic department that don't know what the hell they're doing. They're just figure, you know, figureheads. And I think now they're at least going in that right direction. And, and we'll see over the next couple of years, if this program is able to turn things around, I'm not looking at 2020 as a turnaround because they're undefeated. Even if they win the pac 12, like that's a nice thing. That's not a, that's not a feather in your cap. That's just a, it's, it, that's a nice to have for me. Um, a must have is making a real run at a college football playoff. That means not losing three games in a regular 12 game season, which Clay Helton has done every year. He's been the head coach at least three games. Yep. I can completely agree. All right. Well, I guess that's going to wrap it up. How long we go on this one? Over an hour. Uh, I've talked a lot. Like, is this, is this? I'm talking a lot. Way too much. You did a great job, though, Ryan. <laughs> I'm not smart enough to talk this much. Like, I just, you know, this is not. I used to that's, be smart, but I'm old now. My brain is atrophied. Like, I don't know what's going on. And it's almost your birthday. It is. Yes. I'm going to be <laughs> 50 years old, Keely. Ta-da. I have seven. So, um, when I turned 49, I decided I had a friend that was doing like a push up challenge, like 100 a day. Mm-hmm. So, I turned 49 last December and I started doing 100 push ups a day. And it's hard to remember every day. Like, I put a reminder in my phone and I, I used to have it in the morning. Now, I put it at the end of the day to make sure because, like, sometimes it's like 10 o'clock and a reminder pops up do 100 push ups. Like, ah, oh, crap, I haven't done any yet today. So, you got to do 100 push ups while you're brushing your teeth or whatever. Um, I'm trying while to do you're brushing your teeth. Well, like I'll like <laughs> I'll like do do 25 push-ups, then I'll like floss, then I'll do 25 push-ups, then I'll like brush, and I'll do you know. So I try to break it up a little bit. Um, but I got seven days left, so I have like 700 push-ups left. Well um, done. Yeah, it's like 36,000 something push-ups or whatever. Like it's crazy. Uh, that see that feels like a different lifetime to me because I remember you used to do push-ups in the office when you'd remember. And, but that, that just seems like it was like nine years ago, Ryan. 2020 was, that, is too long. <laughs> 2020 has been like it. Remember how horrible March was? Like it was so bad. Like everything was shutting down and no one was used to it. And like March is coming up again. And you're like, how is this? Spot? Like, you know? I, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. We're just in a new routine of life, which is just so weird that we've accepted this. But, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going to be say. 50 gonna be 50 so crazy crazy but uh i was thinking like well thank you um you know i felt bad for your friends are born in like april or may like oh man drive by birthdays and stuff like people are over that they don't even do that anymore i don't think um they're like yeah those are done and like (laughs) like now i've got like a covid birthday in december like three days before christmas it's like yeah what's going on yeah, because I'm an April birthday, and so there was at least, like, fanfare. Like, people felt bad for me, so it was actually kind of a nice birthday. So, yeah. so but now it doesn't matter. People are just like, this is what it is. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I can't do anything. Like, I've, I've missed Mardi Gras, I've missed this or whatever. Not Mardi Gras, because that's in February. But, yeah, I've missed, like, 
you know, all these big events. Like I couldn't go to Coachella. I couldn't go. Yeah. Sorry. Your birthday sucks, but I've missed everything else too. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So everyone's missed everything. So they're kind of over that stuff. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for Keely. Your, I am Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for being part of our Peristyle podcast family. Listen to us hanging with us through this crazy pandemic season. Hope you guys enjoy the Pac-12 championship game on Friday night. We are going to do a preview with our Oregon site. Uh, Matt Prem will be on with me on Wednesday. So stay tuned for that preview podcast for USC and Oregon. But uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. That's Keely. Thanks for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.